You can be seated. Thank you. Welcome. I want to welcome those of you joining us online as well. Uh, real quick before we get started, I just want to, by way of a reminder, let you know that Tuesday night, 7 p.m. here in the sanctuary is our prayer meeting. Really hope you're able to come and join with us. Sunday mornings we have two services, the first of which is the Bible prophecy update that we do weekly, have for many years. And then second service is actually the sermon, which is a verse by verse study currently in Second Peter. And today we're going to look at and talk about the casualty of spiritual immaturity, which sadly leads to the vulnerability of many a Christian to false teachers and false teachings. So that'll be at 11.15 a.m. We'll live stream that for those of you online. And those of you on YouTube or Facebook, we would encourage you to go directly to the website at jdfarag.org. There you will find the uncensored, uninterrupted entirety of today's update. And with that, let's get to it. Today I want to focus on last day's prophecies concerning Christians being satanically seduced and doctrinally deceived. Yay! <laughs> Here's why. The description of the church in the last days is one of compromise and corruption vis-a-vis -vis seduction and deception. What I hope to accomplish in our time together today is demonstrate and illustrate how this is happening, but more importantly, how God would have us to respond in light of what's happening. Now, there are many passages, many prophecies that speak to this, but we're going to look at just two of them today, the first of which is found in 1 Timothy, a prophecy we talk about often. And the second one is in the book of Revelation. It's one of the seven letters to seven churches, literally at that time known as the area of Asia Minor, but we know it today as the modern day nation of Turkey. And so these were seven letters written to seven churches, literally at that time, but prophetically at the end of time. So let's start with 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. The Apostle Paul is writing by the Holy Spirit to Timothy and says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, explicitly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to, listen, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Did you know that the devil has doctrine, demonic doctrines? And this demonic doctrine, doctrines of devils, comes by way of seducing spirits, very seductive, very subtle <laughs> effects added. <laughs> Revelation chapter 2. I want to begin reading in verse 12. This is the letter to the church in Pergamos. Now some of your Bibles render it Pergamum. This was a city there in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. And we read verse 12, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, <laughs> where Satan's throne is, 
and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you. And he says it a second time, where Satan dwells. How would you like to live in a city where Satan lives? But, verse 14, I have a few things against you, because you have there those in the church who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Now, the reason I wanted to start with these, especially this prophecy in Revelation, is that, again, they describe the church today, the last day's church today, with chilling accuracy. And actually, both the prophecy in 1 Timothy 4 and Revelation 2 comport one with the other, such that the core tenet is that of seduction and deception. If you'll kindly allow me to, for just a moment, I need to take a little bit of time to provide you with some very important information concerning this church in Pergamos. First, the name is the nature, and Pergamos is no exception. It's a compounding of two Greek words, meaning mixed, perverted, elevated marriage. Per, perverted, gamos, gami, marriage. Think monogamy, polygamy. So in other words, the name was descriptive of the nature as the name is the nature throughout Scripture particularly and chiefly, supremely, <laughs> with the name given abo above and beyond all names, the name of Jesus. So the name is the nature. And this was the nature of this city, and specifically of this church. The nature of this church was that it was a mixed marriage, perverted, a mixed marriage to worldly government, as it were, so as to be elevated by it. And it's evidenced by this reference to those in the church who held to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to seduce Israelite men into mixed marriages and idolatry, sexual immorality with Moabite women. In our second service study, Peter is going to refer to the greed of Balaam, which is the catalyst to what John refers to here in Revelation as the doctrine of Balaam. I suppose you could say that both the prophecy update and the second Peter teaching go hand in hand together. Actually, I, I stole Peter's reference to Balaam, and I'm using it for the prophecy update. I hope you don't mind. Now, it should be noted that Balaam is mentioned in Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Nehemiah, Micah, 2 Peter, Jude, and Revelation. One commentator observed that Balaam is talked about more in Scripture than Mary, the birth mother of the Savior of the world. And there's a reason that he is. And we need look no further than to where it all began, 
back in the book of Numbers, chapters 22 through 25. I actually blew the dust off my archive notes, so to speak, and we actually went through the book of Numbers in 2010, 2011. Fascinating study. That might come as a shock to some of you, because after all, it's the book of Numbers. What's the book of Numbers about? Numbers. Well, that sounds boring. It's anything but. It's one of the most exciting and fascinating books in all of the Bible, along with all of the other books in all of the Bible, but particularly the book of Numbers, because we're talking about it today. So it all started with this Balak guy. He's the king of the Moabites, and he's being threatened by the numbers of the Israelites. So this prompted Balak, who was motivated by fear, to hire Balaam, who was motivated by greed. And there's an enormous amount of money involved appealing to Balaam's greed, which again Peter's going to talk about, which is why he then agreed in his greed, did you like that play on words, to curse the Israelites. Problem, he can't curse them. Why can he not curse them? Because God is for them. And so you know how this went down? This is in the book of Numbers. It's so fascinating. Here he goes to pronounce this curse upon the numbers of the Israelites. And what comes out of his mouth? A beautiful, magnificent blessing four times. He cannot try as he may. I command the blessing of God upon you, Israel. <laughs> That's, um, it's so glorious, especially the last one. Oh my goodness. I would really encourage you to spend some time in the very boring book of Numbers, <laughs> in your own time in God's Word. It is so rich. Only a blessing came out. And this, after the well-known and often quoted account of Balaam's donkey. Oh, this is a, um, an animal, a donkey. I won't use the King James word for it. I affectionately refer to him often because I truly identify <laughs> with him, because if God can speak through a donkey, well, He can speak through me. I'm going to leave that right there. Don't have too much fun with that one. You know, it's accounts like this that, not that I need more, but it's just another reminder among many of how God has a sense of humor. Uh, God invented humor, by the way. And uh, laughter very medicinal. Laughter is very serious, by the way. Uh, humor. God invented humor. And I love passages like this because you can see God's sense of humor. Not just in the fact that He would have a donkey speak to Balaam. He would speak to Balaam through the donkey. But what's so humorous is that Balaam speaks back to the donkey. Not only does he speak to the donkey who's speaking to him, he actually gets into an argument with the donkey. <laughs> and he's beating the donkey. I'm like, wow, God, I love passages like this. This is, this is funny. Well, somebody needs to, anyway, I, I'm getting off here. <laughs> I'm still trying to get this out of my mind, that poor donkey. And, and he actually tells Balaam, listen, how long have I been your donkey? Oh yeah, long time. Have I ever done anything like this? No, you haven't. Why are you beating me up then? <laughs> okay. 
I better uh, bring it back here. So he speaks through this donkey. Why? Because he's trying to stop Balaam from going any further in his plan to pronounce a curse upon Israel. And so as it ends up, he basically reminds Balaam, who needed to apparently be reminded that you're not going to curse them. You're going to try because you want the money, but I'm not going to let you. You're only going to say what I'm going to let you say. How about that? So he keeps going. I don't think he cares as long as he gets paid. That's his greed. Well, be that as it may, Balaam fails to curse the Israelites. And the reason he fails is one of the most fascinating in the entirety of Scripture. Now, we're told with specificity the total numbers of and configurations with the 12 tribes of the Israelites divided into four camps in Numbers chapter 2. And I'm sure many of you have several verses from Numbers chapter 2 as life verses. The numbers of the Israelites were this, the camp to the north, the camp to the south, the camp to the east, the camp to the west. That's my life verse. No, it's not. Nice try. So these totals of all the tribes, with the exception of the Levites, the priestly tribe, who were numbered according to their armies, comes in at a total of 603,550. You're supposed to say, wow, that is so uninteresting to me. Why do I need to know that? I'm so glad you asked, because this is what Balaam would have seen. You got the tabernacle in the center. And by the way, the tabernacle, our, our study of the tabernacle, three sections, the Trinity, seven furnishings, the number of completion, arranged in the shape of a cross, right in the center of the camps of the Israelites. And when you look at those numbers, one to the one direction would have been longer than to the other, and then the sides would have been equal, and it would have been in the shape of a cross before a Roman cross for crucifixion had ever been invented. I love it when God does that. Well, no wonder He couldn't curse them. There's even the detail in the narrative where Balak is so frustrated and angry you know, Balaam, I'm pay paying you big bucks. Balak, Balaam, big bucks. <laughs> and and you're, instead of cursing them, you're doing the opposite. You're blessing them. What's up with that? So what does he do? He takes them to a higher elevation, thinking, well, maybe, you know, because there's so many numbers, we just read there's this is just the armies, the men, over 600,000. Maybe we need to go to a higher elevation so they're all in view. Then you can curse them. No, that's worse, because the higher up I go, the more I see the cross. I cannot curse because of the cross. There is therefore now no condemnation, no curse, no guilt for those that are in Christ Jesus. Everything in the Word of God points to the person of Jesus Christ. Even the priests in their service in the tabernacle and subsequently the temple, when they would do the wave offering, and this is not the wave. <laughs> Sorry, it's too bad that you have to do that these days. No, the wave offering was this way, this way, shape of a cross, a foreshadow, a type that points to the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. So he cannot curse them because of this. And here's the tabernacle right smack in the middle 
of the camps of the Israelites. It's such a fascinating study. The four creatures before the throne, the four gospels in the canon of Scripture, they all tie in together with the four camps, 12 tribes divided and configured into four camps. And John 1.14 says that Jesus became flesh, became a man, and tabernacled among us, in the middle of us, as one of us. And it's foreshadowed here. I cannot curse them because of the cross. And Satan cannot curse you because of the cross, because there's no curse for those that are in Christ. Okay, now we still have a problem, because we know that Balaam ultimately succeeded in bringing a curse upon the Israelites in the end, which is why we have so many references to him doing that, chief of which is the one we just read in Revelation. Apparently there were those that were holding to specifically the doctrine of Balaam. What's the doctrine? A teaching. What was his teaching, his doctrine? He taught Balak how to seduce the Israelites. Well, how's he going to seduce the Israelites? With the Moabites. So here's the deal, Balak. I, I still want to get paid. I know how you can do this. It's just not going to be this way. But here's a way. I cannot curse them, but they can bring it upon themselves. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, let me teach you how. You're going to get the Moabite women, and you're going to get them to seduce the Israelite men. And then they're going to commit sexual immorality, which will arouse the ire of their God, and they'll bring it upon themselves. That which I could not do and cannot do outwardly, they will do inwardly. And in that seduction by these Moabite women, these mixed marriages of the Moabites to the Israelites, this perverted marriage, Pergamos, uh, they're also going to be given over to the idolatry and start worshiping the gods with a little g of the Moabites. And that'll do it. And make the check out too, <laughs> because that's how to bring it upon themselves. This is a textbook case of if you can't beat them, join them. Yes, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church, so it joins the church. And apparently they had joined the church in Pergamos, literally. And so too are they alive and well in the church today, prophetically. It's for this reason I titled the second service sermon, The Casualty of spiritual immaturity, such that Balaam's prey on the vulnerable. Can I say it like this? The seducible. I think we do err greatly when we're naively dismissive of the casualties of seduction satanically and the ensuing deception doctrinally. You know what's really sad? We're told the number of the casualties that day in Numbers chapter 25, verse 9, it says, those that died in the plague, plague, they brought it upon themselves were 24,000. 24,000 casualties, avoidable casualties, unnecessary casualties. 
And again, we're going to talk more about this second service, but I want to maybe put that number in perspective. That's half roughly, approximately the population of Kaneohe proper, 24,000 casualties. Why? Because they were seduced. They were deceived. They, they would buy the lie and it would cost them their life. Now, here's the question. How does this apply to Bible prophecy? I have no idea. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. Here's the answer in a sentence. The last day's church is being deceived into mixing with the world in a mixed and even corrupted, perverted marriage to the world. And I want to expound on this, but in order to do that, I'll go ahead and have the team and the live stream on YouTube and Facebook at this time. So what follows is an explanation and demonstration of how it is that the last day's church is being seduced and deceived. I mean, it's bus up. Can I just say it like that? I mean, it's upside down. The, the, the condition of the church today, well, we were told it would be this way. I suppose in some way we should not be surprised. In the last days they're going to they're going to depart from and go after and follow after Peter says the way of Balaam Jude says uh, pardon me the the uh, greed of Balaam Jude says the way of Balaam Revelation says the doctrine of Balaam they're going to be seduced by this they're going to be led astray by this to their own peril are they still saved yes We'll see Him in heaven. But how sad that they would be led astray, that they would be seduced and deceived. By way of a preface, I'll just humbly ask that you hear me out on this by virtue of the seductive nature of this, because this seduction and deception is massive on a global scale. <laughs> Let me explain that real quick before I move any further. The deception politically, the seduction politically, the deception economically, the seduction economically. I mean, it's a pretty lengthy list, and one for which we don't have the time to go through thoroughly today. But I do want to take two on that list, because they go together. And the two are climate change and the COVID vaccines, so-called. Oh, there you go again. I knew you would get there. Hey. Again, if you'll hear me out, this is the deception of deceptions. And we'll see it in the book of Revelation at the conclusion. And we've talked about this for the last three years, by the way, not two, three years, <laughs> since 2020. What if I said to you that climate change is a religion? Would you agree? Uh, the Apostle Paul would agree, Romans chapter 1, you worship the creation and not the creator. This is Mother Earth worship 
It's very satanic. It's very seductive. And, and the climate change doctrine, doctrine, demonic. The climate change seduction, seduction, satanic. Talk more about that in a moment. Well, how, how do the COVID vaccines, so-called, which you seem uh, determined to talk about every week, you better believe it. Um, how does that tie in together with climate change? Oh, again, I'm so glad you asked. Let's ask the CDC. Pictured here is a screenshot of a post from the CDC titled, <laughs> quote, Climate Effects on Health. Oh. Here's some of what it says, quoting, climate change, together with other natural and human-made health stressors, influences human health and disease in numerous ways. Some existing health threats will intensify and new health threats will emerge. Fear, fear, fear. Not everyone is equally at risk. Important considerations include age, economic resources, and location. In the U.S., public health can be affected by disruptions of physical, biological, and ecological systems, including disturbances originating here and elsewhere. The health effects of these disruptions include, you ready? Increased respiratory and cardiovascular disease. <gasps> Sound familiar? Uh, injuries and premature deaths related to extreme weather events. Changes in the prevalence and geographical distribution of food. And waterborne illnesses and other infectious diseases and threats to mental health. Translated, people are dying by the millions, the hundreds of millions, by the way, because of climate change. Oh, that's why? No, that's not why. That's what they want you to believe, because they want to deceive you to believe that. It's a deception. It's a seduction. It's satanic. It's demonic. Climate change. Well, last week, one Bill Gates boarded his climate and carbon unfriendly private jet to be interviewed in Australia by the Lowry Institute. So the interview starts off with Bill Gates addressing climate change, no surprises, which again is, it's such a diabolical, by the way, diabolos is devil, diabolical, evil, <laughs> deceptive. It, it is so deceptive because there is climate change because these conspirators are changing the climate. Why are they changing the climate? Because they want to destroy God's creation. Land, air, sea, God created the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and all that in them is. And this is an evil plot and conspiracy. And yes, I'm using that word. I'm not going to let the CIA hijack that word. I shouldn't use the word hijack, but yeah, you get the point. It is a conspiracy. There are con What's a conspiracy? It's a, a group conspiring conspiracy, an evil conspiracy, an evil plot, an evil plan, agenda. Can I use that word? What's the, the evil agenda? Oh, it's to destroy your eggs, <laughs> your chickens, 
I'm not talking about the feral chickens down your lane either, of which we have. If you, if you want some chickens, just let me know. We got a lot of them, and they keep multiplying those things, and there's no eggs though. And that's too bad, because aren't eggs now about $500,000 a dozen, if you can find them? That's because they just keep burning down the factories, which they did last week. Because <laughs> eggs are, are hurting the climate. Really? <laughs> this was not in my notes. I should probably stay on message here with my notes. So they're changing the climate by manipulating and geoengineering the weather because they want to poison God's creation, chief of which is man, the creation of God in the image of God. I hope this doesn't come as a surprise to you, but Satan hates you, because you're made in the image of God. So he wants to destroy you. He, he wants to kill you. So Satan possesses demonically these conspirators, as I call them, to do his bidding and to carry out his bidding. And I'll take it a step further and suggest that if Bill Gates is still fully human, he may not be. He may already be transhuman. And I'm not, that's not hyperbole. If he's still human, he is at the very least demonically possessed, because that's the only explanation for why he would do what he does. They're manipulating, geoengineering the weather, changing the climate. So he talks about his philanthropic, you know, efforts to save the planet. Listen, I want to be careful here, because I remember a Calvary pastor one time getting in a little bit of hot water, which is like my daily lot. I <laughs> Welcome to my world, the hot water world. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, aren't we getting a new one? I mean, it's all going to burn anyway. Well, come on, aren't you concerned about the environment? Well, of course I am. <laughs> but I'm not going to try to save the Titanic from sinking. It's going to sink. And we're going to get a new one, way more better one. <laughs> the new heavens and the new earth. And by the way, when we get to chapter 3, Second Peter, uh, Peter goes into very graphic detail in a way concerning the burning of the earth. It'll be destroyed by fire. So have a nice afternoon. I mean, <laughs> you know, save, save a whale, save a tree, save the planet. How about save a soul? Again, this should come as no surprise from one Bill Gates, given that his father, Bill Gates Sr. You know about this guy? We've covered it before. He was the father of eugenics. In fact, it used to be called that, and then they had to change the name to protect the guilty. So now we refer to it as Planned Parenthood, infanticide. It's genocide. It's an evil genocide to reduce the population. When I say what I'm going to say the way I say it, you'll understand why. They are hell-bent, literally, on reducing the population, killing mankind made in the image of God. Enter the so-called vaccine. This is, in Bill Gates's own words in 2020, the final solution. The final solution? That sounds familiar. It should. 
This is uh, Adolf Hitler's final solution. The genocide, the, the culling, the reducing of the Jewish population. So it's just got new wrapping paper on it, same old thing. We just got to kind of put some new packaging on it so people will buy it. That's what it is. It is the final solution, by the way. This, this is a dream for them, a dream come true. I hope you don't tire of me saying it, but the, <laughs> the vaccine was never made for COVID. That's a deception. COVID was made for the vaccine, which by the way, uh, January of 2020, Yeah, why not? Then President Trump had already entered into an agreement with Moderna for a COVID vaccine, January 2020. Let me try that again. <laughs> January 2020? Yeah. You mean they already had it? Oh, yeah. Come on. Man, we've got the final solution. Now, how are we going to get people to take it so we can kill them? <laughs> Effects at it again. Well, I know. Let's uh, release a poison, a toxin, tell them it's a virus, and then they'll line up to take this kill shot. And that's exactly what happened and is happening. Oh, it'll stop infection. It'll block infection and transmission. Now, let me quote Bill Gates from this Lowry Institute interview. He says, quote, we also need to fix the three problems with vaccines. What? Well, you, you weren't saying that in 2020. Still quoting? The current vaccines are not infection blocking. What? They're not broad. So when new variants come up, you lose protection and they have very short duration. What? particularly in the people who matter, which are old people. And every one of those things is fixable. In fact, doing that work is going to help vaccinology very, very broadly, you know. We, for example, the Gates Foundations, we have a malaria vaccine, but it only lasts for six months. And understanding, okay, how do we get the long-lived memory B cells? In that case, it's very similar to figuring out how we make these COVID vaccines last longer. Last longer? So this, fortunately, the rich world desires and the developing country desires actually aligned in terms of what the research and development agenda should look like. So within, still quoting, I'd say a decade, we will have a tool set for respiratory pandemics that will be excellent. And so the one thing that still hangs in the balance is, will we have the global capacity and the regular practice at regional and country levels that would mean that when a threat comes up, we act in such a way that it doesn't go global. In other words, that there isn't a pandemic because they only called a pandemic after it gets out. You know what he's saying? He's saying the so-called vaccines don't work and they don't last. They don't stop transmission. I mean, please, <laughs> do you see how deceptive this is? It is a lie from the father of lies. 
And Gates and his evil gang promoted the vaccine saying, and I quote, everyone who takes the vaccine is not just protecting themselves, but reducing their transmission to other people and allowing society to get back to normal. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> Gates is also quoted as saying, it's his word, magic. Interesting choice of words. And that the vaccines would be a, quote, game changer. Not only did Gates promote the vaccine, he profited from the vaccine to the tune of over half a billion dollars. And that's very conservative, by the way. And this after he conspicuously sold his shares at, what are the odds, just the right time. Doubtless some of you or many of you have seen his interview at Davos a couple years back, a few years back, where he's quoted as saying that he's made so much money on vaccines, the return on his investment. Interesting. Okay. One last thing on this, and I'll try to make some sense out of all this. Um, you probably know people or have heard people say, after getting very sick, I'm sure glad I got the injection, because I would have been sicker. Um, I think what I'm trying to communicate here, and maybe I'm not succeeding in my attempt to do so, is that people have been deceived. And what adds insult to injury, no pun intended, is that Christians are deceived. How many Christians, for one reason or another, have been injected and regretted it? Now, again, this is as good of a time as any. I'll say it. Maybe I need to start saying it on a weekly basis, because I know it's a big issue. You're a born-again Christian. You've been injected. You're saved. You're not unsaved. You're not going to be unborn again. Maybe you need to spend some time in Romans chapter 8, because the whole chapter is about nothing being able to separate you from the love of God. No height, nor depth, nor angel, nor principality, nor vaccine, that's not in the original, can separate you. If you're saved, you're born again, you cannot be unborn again. Oh, pastor, are you one of those once saved, always saved? Um, God is. Are you saying that once I'm saved, I've always saved? No. The Bible says that. Wait, I can't lose my salvation? Yeah. Wait, if you can lose your salvation, that means that you have to work to keep your salvation, and that's not grace. Now that's works again. So I'm saved by grace, but Jesus on the cross, it is finished. However, <laughs> you're forgiven if you're saved, but no. If you're saved, you're saved. You, you attend Calvary Chapel Pergamos in the first century AD. And you, you're on the receiving end of a letter written by John, the Apostle John, man, that Jesus had him write, sent to us, read by the angel of the church. You know who the angel of the church is? <laughs> the pastor. That's, I'm just saying it was the to the angel of the, the, the that's the pastor. It's the, so he would read, the pastor would read the letter from the Lord to the church. 
This is what the Lord's saying to you. You've not denied my name. You've kept my word. I know your works, but I have a couple things against you. Not just the doctrine of Balaam, but also the Nicolaitans. That's a whole other topic for another time. Uh, th- that's another compound, uh, two, two words. Nico or Nike, the, the uh, conquest, conquer. The uh, runner, they named the, if you've got Nike tennis shoes on, can you just use that as an example? That's where that comes from. It's the Greek word Nike, Nike, conquer, conquest. Uh, Nico or Nicolaitans, laity, like Laodicea. They had conquered and ruled over the laity, Nicolaitans. So these are the things I have against you. You're still saved. You're still going to be in heaven, but this is the problem. And we need to deal with the problem. You're being seduced. You're being deceived. And that's the problem. I know I said one last thing before we bring it in for a close, but this is the last, last thing. (laughs) And I think it's important because, again, you're a born again Christian and you've been injected. I would highly encourage you to not get any more. And praise the Lord if you've not had any adverse events or effects because of it. That's the grace of God. We talked about that last week. There's death in the pot or shot. (laughs) And you put the, the flour, the bread, the Lord into it, and it will not harm you. And I think God in His grace and His mercy has been very gracious and very merciful to many who have, for whatever reason or another, taken this thing. But do you know that I know two actual, these were pastor friends of mine, that died as a direct result of being injected. And nobody wants to talk about it. The death is COVID complications. I'm sorry. How about COVID deceptions? How about how about demonic doctrines that you've been deceived by and believed and trusted in? You know, one, one thing about Pergamos, like Laodicea, they were known for their temple to Asclepius, the medicine god. And, and it was the symbol of from Moses when God just, because they were complaining, makes you think twice about complaining. Uh, the Israelites were complaining again against the Lord. And God just said, that's it. And He sends snakes and He kills them. Anybody else want to complain? No, I'm good. Uh, So Moses and Aaron, I totally wouldn't have done this. They're praying, God, please stop killing them. Please stop this, this judgment. And God says, okay, take a bronze serpent and put it on a pole in the shape of a cross. And all they have to do is look up on that serpent, a picture of sin, that Jesus took upon him on that cross, and they'll be saved and healed. That's where we get our modern day, although it's perverted, corrupted. It's a, anyway, I don't know how, anyway, it's Baphomet and two snakes, and it's just demonic, man. And it comes from that. Do you know the most famous and well-known verse in all the Bible? I know I'm going way off, but this might be for somebody here. Hang in there with me. You know the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, of course, right? Um, Do you know what Jesus said after John 3.16? He said, just like Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole, so too will the Son of Man be lifted up, put on the cross. But we stop right at John 3.16. We don't talk about John 3.17. I don't even know that some of us know that we even have (laughs) more verses in that chapter in our Bibles. We do. Very fascinating. Okay. That was the last, last thing. 
This brings me to how it is that God would have us to respond in light of this. I mean, I, I'm fully capable of getting up here, and uh, I'm embarrassed to say I, I'm sure I have many more times than I care to admit, where I just get up here and say, you're being deceived. Let's pray. <laughs> you're being seduced. It's satanic. It's demonic. This thing's going to kill you. Let's pray. <laughs> no. What? That, what? What do I do with that? What do I do about that? Well, in a word, wait for it, repent. Repent. Do a 180. It's a change of mind, change of direction. And this is the end of the aforementioned letter to the church in Pergamos. Jesus in Revelation 2 verse 16 says, repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Repent. Repent. You need to have a change of mind. And once you have a change of mind, you change your mind. God then will change your heart. Two more verses in Revelation. Again, we talk about them, but for purpose of today's update, I think we would do well to revisit them. This is the prophecy concerning the fall of Babylon. I want you to pay particular attention to verse 23, Revelation 18. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery, pharmakia in the Greek, where we get pharmacy, pharmaceutical, by your sorcery, Bill Gates' magic potion, all the nations were deceived. Question, are all the nations on the earth deceived by this one thing? And is this one thing a pharmaceutical solution? Solution, keyword. It's a pharmaceutical solution that has deceived all of the nations on the earth. Lastly, Revelation 9, verses 20 and 21. But the rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And, listen, verse 21, they did not repent of their murders, or their sorceries, pharmakia, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Uh, would to God that we would be numbered amongst those who did repent of this satanic seduction and doctrinal deception for the Lord's soon return to rapture His church is at hand. It is at the door. This is why we do these updates and have for years. This is the point of these prophecy updates, the purpose of these prophecy updates. It's the point to Jesus. Get Jesus to people and people to Jesus, because it's all about Jesus, as we just saw. Everything is all about Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel is good news. That's what the word means, good news. Your debt has been paid. You're free to go. The gospel is that Jesus was crucified, buried, rose again on the third day, and is coming back for us soon and very soon one day. That's the good news. The ABCs of salvation, again, we do this every week. I pray it never becomes just this routine formality that we do all the time. This is a childlike explanation of salvation. 
It's just an equipping you should you ever be given the profound privilege of sharing Jesus Christ with somebody that God brings into your path. It's very simple. It's childlike simple. The A is for admit or acknowledge that you're a sinner. That's when you realize, well, if I'm a sinner, then I need a Savior. Good. Good conclusion. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned, all, and fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed the perfect standard of God's righteousness. We've missed the bullseye, which is what the word sin means. It's an archery term. And now there's a penalty. And Romans 6.23 says the penalty is, the wages of sin is death. It's the death penalty. But here's the good news. The good news is the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the gift. He purchased it. He paid for it in full. He paid the wage. He paid the debt and offers us the gift. The B is very central and simple. It's for believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. So Gladys says you will. And the C lastly is for call upon the name of the Lord. Or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And here's why. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And lastly, this seals the deal, Romans 10, 13, all who call upon the name of the Lord, and here's that word again, will be saved. That's simple. Today's But God testimony is very short and to the point. Comes from Edwin Latcham. Hope I'm pronouncing your name right. He writes, I thank God first in every situation. I was given a lethal injection in the hospital. I prayed Isaiah 54, 17. I saw the spirit of death, but God healed me. Thank you, Lord. I bet you're wondering what Isaiah 54, 17 says. Yeah, praise the Lord. You, you know this verse. You just don't know that you know this verse. Now, when I read this verse, you'll, you'll know that you knew this verse. And it so ties in with today's update. This promise from Isaiah, who by the Holy Spirit writes, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. No curse pronounced upon you shall prosper. No shot injected into you shall prosper. Am I taking it too far? <laughs> and every tongue which rises against you, somebody should have told Balaam that, Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. And he says it just like that, too. <laughs> from me. You belong to me. You're my child. You know how we are as parents? Somebody messes with your kid, what's your response? Where do they live? <laughs> I will find them. They will be in great danger. <laughs> now that's not the sanctified, <laughs> of course. I try to sanctify. It doesn't work very well. But think about how much more our Heavenly Father, as His children, His people, 
Okay, that's the end. Capono, come on up again. Again, working on the smooth transition on these closings. Yeah, praise the Lord. Go ahead and stand. We'll, yeah, it's a gift again. So, Father, thank you so much. Oh, Lord, they're just, words do not in any way come close to being able to express to you how grateful we are, how thankful we are, Lord. Oh, Jesus, we, we are in awe of you. We are in love with you. We are so thankful to you, Lord. Thank you for going to the cross, taking upon yourself our curse, the curse of our sin, and settling it and paying in full for it, so that we could be set free by you, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Lord, thank you for the good news of eternal life, salvation. <laughs> thank you, Lord, that you're coming soon, very soon, to rapture us out of this world, not our home, this world that we've long overstayed our welcome. Lord, come quickly, Maranatha, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.